Hey, Johnny Fry, welcome. It is me, James Tiley at CyberFM, bringing you Johnny Fry from Digital Bytes Newsletter for Team Blockchain. Again, I think we're running out of weeks that we've been doing this for the, uh, the years wrapping up, but I'd say so far this is going really well. Yeah, James, good to be back on air with you and uh, always look forward. We, we tend to record this on a Friday afternoon um, UK time, Friday morning, um, your time in um, North Florida, South, North Florida, South Georgia. I'll get it right. Just, Monday. just when I thought my week was over. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and it's for, for new listeners. W- welcome. Um, this is a weekly show that we put out on Cyber.fm to their, uh, wow, four, 4.6 million listeners, I think, got literally all over the world. And what we're doing is looking at how, where and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used. And when we talk about digital assets, um, it's, it's the whole range. So, you know, we, we cover topics such as, you know, cryptocurrencies, such as DeFi, NFTs, um, and even, um, and we're going to see a lot more of this over the next year, where you've got effectively a digital representation of a, a real asset. So it's a digital representation of, of, a, of real estate, of commodity, of a currency, um, of a stock and a share of, of, of a debt instrument. Um, and that, that's going to be, um, we're going to touch on that a little bit um, after the break. We've got um, Tim Lins from um, Small Markets, um, and they are a regulated decentralized finance exchange, a DeFi exchange. Um, to the best of knowledge, it's the first one that's regulated anywhere in the world. So looking forward to that, because um, I think that shows how regulators, albeit just in Germany, because that's where um, they're regulated from by Baffin. But it shows that people are beginning, regulators begin to understand that um, there is a place for using things like blockchain technology and then allowing um, digital assets. Um, and as I say, it's not just crypto here, but but a range of different assets that can go on a regulated exchange. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that after, after the break, James. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like regulated DeFi you know, in jumbo shrimp. But as I thought about it more <laughs> and I was listening to you speak with him, uh, comes more of course of traditional regulated markets, but still empowering the end user, right? Putting yes. those decisions and what's available in their hands. So it's a slippery slope, but it's, it's going to take a professional like swarm to, uh, to do it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's talk about sort of, um, you know, sort of investing. You know, we're talking about here um, a, a, an exchange. Um, one of the articles that we got this week is how blockchain technology is able to, if you like, bring much greater transparency um, to that subject of ESG, sort of environmental social governance. And this is something which is becoming more and more important um, at a variety of different levels. So we've seen um, over here in the EU um, that they're going to they're going to issue 250 billion euros worth of, of what they call green bonds. And these are basically IOUs, bonds, debt instruments, which will fund um, projects that are meant to have a positive environmental impact or, or will benefit climate change. Um, and what we've seen um, since 2007, this market has grown um, by an incredible 95% per annum, as more and more institutions are saying, look, um, yes, we want to put some money into debt instruments because that's our investment strategy. And that's what we're doing. 
but we want to focus that money onto making sure our money is going for good causes, going to make, make a, a, a proper impact. So that's very much at the institutional level. And then at the retail level, um, interesting to see a survey by Capgemini, um, and they're saying that we're continuing to see high net worths portfolio, i.e. people with, you know, typically 100,000, 200,000 US dollars, they, they tend to fall into that high net worth category. And they're, they're allocating more and more of their money towards sort of sustainable investing. The challenge is, how do you know whether one company as opposed to another really is, you know, that sustainable? Um, and that comes down to this whole thing around transparency uh, and, and what metrics and their financial but non-financial, how do you actually know um, that you have got that sort of information available? And Ernst and Young have come out and they made a statement saying blockchain technology gives you sort of distribution and trust um, whereby you can be certain that um, this company perhaps has stronger SG credentials than that company. So that's that's um, you know then we we, we quote examples um, like Minehub and Cavantis, which are companies using the technology um, of tracking goods, so that you know companies and businesses can assure their customers of the provenance. Um, so you you know I know you're you're now a fan of electric car, James. You've you've got one yourself. Well, Ford actually have a, a tracking system using blockchain technology where they can track. Um, the source of cobalt and cobalt is a key ingredient for an electric car battery. Um, and there had been concerns um, that some of the cobalt suppliers in, in different countries in Africa were using child labor. Um, but, but Ford now can assure their suppliers, they can assure their customers, their shareholders, that they've been able to track right the way through from sort of, you know, a mine uh, where, the, where the cobalt's dug right the way through to their factories and onto the showrooms and into your garage. So that people can be can be comfortable that they aren't driving around in a car which has been subject to perhaps um, child labor or something like that. We'll start calling them blood batteries. Blood batteries, yeah, yeah. Well, the other one we found was really interesting is a company called Agriledger, um, and um, they're basically what they're doing is is providing provenance and um, verification of of fruit coming out of Haiti into America, um, and they've been working. Um, for a little while now, and they reckon they can get up to seven and a half times the amount of money um, for a avocado or, you know, something like that for the farmer compared to what they were getting. So it means the farmers are actually earning more money. It means the consumers can actually have um, a, a confidence that the mangoes and the avocados they're buying in the shops in the States, where have they come from? Are they sustainable? And are the farmers that are actually doing the work, are they able to actually get, you know, a fair crack of the whip, so to speak? Because um, there's obviously, you know, you can imagine a, a farmer in Haiti, you know, they're relatively straightforward, simple in the fields, doing their thing. And then suddenly their prized produce goes off within a supply chain, which could be really, really complex. And, uh, I don't know, the box of avocados gets dropped or they leave it out in the sun or and all these things, nothing completely out of their control. And, and they've become in the past fairly reliant on these supply chains. But by putting in a series of devices, you know, Internet of Things, tracked back to a blockchain, you can see the way the goods have been shipped literally from the field all the way through to the, the supermarket shelves. Um, and perhaps sometimes the couriers and the transporters, you know, haven't necessarily done such a great job. Well, they're, they're the ones that get penalised. 
um, because they can identify, well, what was happening in the same way the farmers, if they put in some, you know, poor quality stock, well, then they, that can be identified and they're the ones that get penalised. So it's encouraging, if you like, good quality products to be looked after carefully um, and the farmers, as a result, get more money, which, which I thought was quite, a, quite an interesting sort of example of how the technology is being used, um, you know, in, in, in all sorts of different areas. That was Haiti. The other one we, we saw was a company called Signet Bay Pearl Farmers. Um, and this was um, actually courtesy of my daughter, um, Lottie, um, my daughter. She's out in Australia at the moment. And she came across something in the Australian press whereby a company called Everledger um, is using a blockchain technology to be able to track at the supply chains, in this case, of pearls um, in Australia, so that people can be certain that if you buy a particular pearl um, from them, you, you've got provenance, you've got proof of where it's come from, the sustainable practices that um, Signet Bay pearls adopt, um, right the way through. So you've got some, you know, you made a comment there about sort of, you know, blood avocados. Well, that was really referenced, obviously, blood diamonds, where wasn't Leonardo Capriano? He had a film, wasn't it? Um, and that it was people being killed and maimed, all sorts of things, to, for, for, for in the diamond trade, which actually was where Everledger first started by being able to track and trace diamond supplies. <laughs> so that's a small world. Yeah, that was uh, probably a decade ago now, right? Maybe fifteen. Must have been. Must have been. I think it was after he was on the Titanic, wasn't he? He got he got off the boat and then started doing other things. Yeah, maybe we should do a whole show about him. Catch me if you can. <laughs> Remember that at your AML. <laughs> Yeah, as long as you didn't need a lifeboat to get out of trouble, I suppose. Oh, no. You know, it's it's funny, I was going to say before you move on. Um, in 2007, sounds about right, I was involved in an effort, and uh, i got to be careful with how I say this, I was involved in an effort to place underwater windmills in a particular Und- city. Hang on, underwater windmills? Underwater, no underwater windmill. Hey, I'm just a regular guy, so I'm going to call them that. But I guess they would be water mills. A uh, water mill. Oh, what? Um, driven by the tides. Right. They would be uh, underwater. Actually, you wouldn't see them. They would be underwater. And then the current would make the, the, the fans turn. Yeah, spin and generate electricity for that particular city. And it was all about, you know, going green and blah, blah, blah. This is 2007. And I was all excited. It was going to be a big thing for me. It was going to, you know, uh, I was in early and I was using my knowledge to help promote. And I'm just saying the particular mayor of the particular location did not approve the particular installation of this green energy underwater windmill. Therefore, not improving the flow of electricity in that geographic area. I, it turns out, I think they're up in like Sweden now, in the Atlantic Ocean or something like that. But they left me. They left my area, and I was there holding the bag, just on the uh, ego side. Of, of one of the mayors saying, no, he didn't want it on his, on his tide. Yeah, you know, brought up a whole lot of reasons that I'm sure the pioneering electrical company backed him with. Yeah. But you see, again, it's interesting you mention energy like that. That's that's another, although it's not a topic we've covered in this edition of Digital Bytes, um, there's lots and lots of examples of basically 
renewable energy sources, whether it's sort of tidal or obviously there's a lot, there's a lot now um, with um, wind and solar, you've got biomass, you've got hydro and companies want to track and they want to say, you know, there's big companies, Microsoft, Google, um, uh, Facebook are, are examples where they're saying we want to actually only buy um, green sources of energy um, and therefore the power grids um, and the people that you buy your electricity from need to be able to say, well, OK, 10, 20, 30 percent of our power, people are paying to be on the green package. Therefore, we have to go and ensure that we are buying 20, 30 percent, whatever, from green renewable sources. And a lot of that information um, is now being held on, on different sort of blockchains so that people can be certain that the money they're paying um, for their green power isn't coming from, you know, nat fossil fuels, for, for example. So um, it's another use case where we've seen blockchain technology being used um, to, to meet that ESG, because at the end of the day, it's the environmental social aspect there where companies say, no, we've said we're going to go carbon free. Um, so therefore, you, my you know, energy supplier, you need to make sure you, you know, you get your act together. So Blimey, what would have happened to Enron in all those all those years years ago? How could you imagine <laughs> tokenizing <laughs> energy? Well, let's trade it. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about another another sort of big um, market, um, and 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 that's sort of you know the home home loans, mortgages, um, and um, we're looking at uh, there's a company called uh, Trust Me Property Exchange, and they did an article um, with us this week looking at non-fungible tokens um, and how basically, um, in essence, um, it, it should be possible for um, me to own a percentage of your home, uh, James. So rather than me lending you money, I could say, look, um, your, your home is, a, is $100,000. Well, I'll give you, um, there you go, I'll give you $1,000. And so now I own 1% of your house, or I'll give you $10,000 and I own 10% of your house. So rather than you going out and having a mortgage and you've got to pay interest on that, um, there's people who might say, well, look, where James lives, I, I don't want to own the whole house. I don't want the insurance and the maintenance and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, I think it's going to be good investment holding property in, in your area. Or I want to have some exposure to um, Paris or to, you know, I don't know, maybe Seoul in South Korea or maybe um, in London. And so using and effectively sort of packaging up your home in the sense that you could sell off, you know, one or two or 3% of your, your property, um, potentially that's going to give competition to mortgages. Because if I can borrow money for free and um, as opposed to a mortgage, okay, the downside is, is that with the mortgage, all I could do is pay the interest and then I get the capital upside. But, you know, if, I, if I'm sitting there, I don't have a mortgage and I'm saying, well, why don't I sell off 10% of my house? I've got cash now to do what I like. And it's an interest-free loan. Um, the downside is if my property appreciates a lot, I don't get 100% of the appreciation, I only get 90% of the appreciation. But meanwhile, I've got 10% of the money to do what I want to do. Um, so with more people getting worried about the possibility of inflation coming back, um, we're seeing institutions moving into the property market. And there's a lot of small investors. They just can't afford to buy another property or even a property. But by buying parts of properties, in theory, they could break it up and put a thousand dollars here, a thousand dollars there, a thousand yen there, you know, five hundred euros there, and actually have a portfolio of different types of property 
um, using the underlying technology of blockchains, but no tokens necessarily. No, uh, there's no there's no regulatory aspect here. It's simply my name has been put on the registry of the relevant uh, company country that we're looking to buy the property. It might be in the UK or it might be in in the US or it might be in Canada, whatever that may be. So I thought that was quite an interesting take on you know basically NFTs providing essentially competition um, to the mortgage market. It would also be tremendous for like co-ops and uh, maybe even timeshares. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I do have it in the in America. In, in the UK, we have something called equity release. So my, my mum, bless her, she lives on her own. She's got a house and she says, look, you know, the house is worth, you know, let's say $200,000. Um, what I'd love to do, I'd love to give uh, $20,000 um, between my four grandchildren. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go along to a bank or insurance company and they do equity release. So equity that she owns is being released for her to go and spend and make a gift um, to the grandchildren. Um, And that market in the UK is about two, two billion, two and a half billion sterling. Do you have similar products in America? So what we get bombarded with on television is, uh, remember the Fonz? Remember Fonzie? Oh, yeah, Fonz. So they're always pushing the reverse mortgage. Right. Uh, my in-laws actually participated in it. Then they changed their mind. So the reverse mortgage was that they bought the, the, the bank, for example, bought, buys your house yep. while you continue to live in it. You yep. get your $1,000 a month or whatever. And, you know, you spend the that money. the rolls up. Right. And then when you pass on, you yep. either have to have your estate pay off that reverse mortgage yep. or they just take the house and they sell it. And then in this example, my wife wouldn't get anything. Yeah. So they had caught themselves in the situation where they were like, oh, this was a good idea at one point. Now they're trying to pay off their reverse mortgage because they want yep. my wife and my son to have the house that's up in the, the fabulous Hamptons of Long Island. Right. And uh, so we were thankful for that, which I suppose with a smart well, contract, you well, could this just immediately reverse. Yeah, absolutely. So instead of having interest rate, look, at the moment, interest rates are very low, but that won't continue. And, you know, but it's amazing how much interest on interest on interest, you know, every year it mounts up and mounts up. And as you say, you suddenly find that you've taken out a small, um, you know, reverse mortgage or equity release, as we call them here in the UK. And you suddenly find there's no equity left for your beneficiaries. And, you know, your, your granddad or great aunt Sal dies. And then suddenly you find that, her house, his house, goes to the bank, goes to the insurance company. Whereas with what trust property exchange, TPX, what they're doing is saying, no, no, the in- there is no interest. Um, you know, you can't sell more than 49% of your property. So no one can ever kick you out because you always own 51% of the property. But effectively, you could sell off bits of your house on, a, on an exchange, um, not pay any interest. And then when you die, your beneficiaries will always get at least 51% of the house. Um, the house gets sold, and let's say you know you've sold you know you've sold forty nine percent. Forty nine percent of the money goes to whoever's invested, and fifty one percent goes to the estate. So you haven't got that horrible surprise. And what about the interest? Because there was never any interest involved. So I just thought it's a really interesting way of um, using the technology, not involving any form of digital asset per se, um, but actually making something a lot a lot fairer for you know certainly the more vulnerable people because. These these equity release schemes and and the, and the reverse mortgage, like I say, they tend to be people who 
a little bit elderly, perhaps a little bit less financially savvy. And um, in the past, some of the banks insurance companies have preyed on that and, and, and got away with products, which, you know, sometimes you, you, with hindsight, you might want to question. Yeah, I have trouble understanding how a reverse mortgage isn't just a HELOC, right? I'm like, okay, <laughs> you gave away your equity. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's good, though. Yeah. This is the future, the potential yeah. future of where mortgages and, and titles could definitely... Uh, I've used that example with cars often, right? Transferring the title to a car in an NFT. This is a bigger version of that. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. Very much so. Okay, so I, we, I know we're almost coming up to the break. So obviously after the break, as we mentioned, we've got Timo from Swarm Markets, um, which is a, a German regulated DeFi exchange. Um, and again, in the same way we've been looking at mortgages here and things, how things are changing, um, that they've got all sorts of different ideas. And, and, and also making the financial system much more inclusive. Um, you know, I, I know a number of people often talk about you know, the unbanked, as if it's something which is sort of in, I don't know, almost in some sort of extraterrestrial location, these, these unbanked people. Um, but there are millions of them in, in, in the States. We've got over a million here just in the UK. But according to the World Bank, there's 1.7 billion people that don't have a bank account. But no, but sorry, the point really I, was, I was try, wanted to try and get across was, um, you know, we, I think we all know that, that there is a problem and, and financial markets are not as inclusive um and as as perhaps they 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 ought to be and i think what one of the big advantages of 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 technology now um and and you know come on james you've you've been in financial markets very much at the tech level and 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 you know in terms of some of the software and some of the stuff you you're involved in on wall street you know only too well it's it's a complicated thing but and, and that was really for institutions but what we're beginning to see now is some of this technology being deployed to open up and engage and let other people, you know, smaller investors, less sophisticated people to, to get involved um, in these markets and give them access to some of the things which historically were only the preserve of those institutions. So it is, I believe we're seeing much greater democracy, which I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, that if, if it's more democracy and it's more open, more transparent, then, um, you know, hopefully that's, everyone has a chance rather than just being the preserve of just one or two. Well, yeah, and, and to follow what you're saying, though, in, in all seriousness, uh, especially here in the United States, I've been involved in, in situations where they say, okay, or, you know, anybody might say, well, I, I like Google and I like Apple and I, I want to own shares of Google and Apple. I don't know how many shares I can afford. I got this $45,000 laying around. It's my life savings. And they tell me not to invest it, but, you know, can I take pieces of it? And how much can I get? So the technology, which has been implemented now for years, that can take your notional value and then watch the market sweep dark pools, you know, there's little iceberg strategies of market makers trying to pop up little sales here and there. And then you get grandma and grandpa, the best bang for their buck based yeah. on their notion of value, knowing that they want to own Google and Apple. So yeah. where I see this going in the blockchain world is almost the same thing, but the transparency is there for them to say, okay, why did this go out to this particular pool? 
to get me X amount of shares of crypto, in, and this is just a scenario, when you almost redirect it in, a, in might, maybe more DeFi, um, where they could resell it real quick, buy it back at a different exchange, and through a regulated DeFi exchange, you're going to talk about that soon, they actually get to fiat themselves like an off-ramp. Yeah. But they initially yeah. don't know what they can afford because they're only accustomed to that U.S. dollar. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're right. You're right. Okay. All right, James. And, and obviously, if anyone wants um, to listen to any of our um, back, back shows that we've been doing, um, we do them every week, then they just need to log on to cyber.fm. Um, and there's a link there and people can see, I believe, the different shows that you and I have done with all, all the different various different guests from from, you know, individuals to companies to regulated to unregulated companies. So um, please feel free to go on a cyber.fm and have a look at um, the Digital Byte show that we've recorded there. And if you'd like a copy of um, the actual hard copy Digital Bytes that we're talking about, then um, just contact uh, James Tiley at cyber.fm or you can find myself, Johnny Fry, J-O-N-N Fry on LinkedIn. Just say you'd like a copy of Digital Bytes and we'll make sure we ping one over on the email they normally go out every Wednesday um, morning UK time. So happy to add you to that list. Okay, James. So we'll, we'll see you after the break and we'll be chatting to Swarm Markets and uh, Timo. Yeah, you'll be bringing him on uh, in probably about a minute. And then uh, it's another week, December 10th right now we're recording, right? Wow. Blimey. Going to have to go and do some Christmas shopping, James. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. We'll see you after the break. Thank you. Cyber.fm. Hey, Johnny. Welcome back over here with me, huh? I'm James Tiley. We're on Cyber.fm discussing Digital Bytes with Team Blockchain. Johnny is relentless. He is here every single week, and he always brings somebody. <laughs> this time around, I believe, Johnny, you got Timo Lihas from Swarm Markets? That's right. Yeah, we're delighted. Um, well, I, I, I love this part of the show because we all seem to and we do try and get people literally from all over the world because obviously, you know, there you are. I think you're probably in your shorts in Northern Florida. Um, I'm, I'm freezing my bits and pieces off because it's cold here just south of London. And, and Timo, you're in, you're in Germany today? Yeah, I'm, no, I'm actually in Sweden. So I, I might be even freezing more than you are. So um, yeah, <laughs> not, certainly not in my underwear. <laughs> well, well, welcome to the Digital Bite Show. And I'm really interested to... Um, read your article, how DeFi will enable participants to reimagine financial markets. But before we get into your article, um, I'd love if you could explain um, a little bit about your background, um, a little bit about Swarm, um, and then obviously just touch on, you know, we're not talking about Hi-Fi or Wi-Fi, we're talking about DeFi. So perhaps if you could just give a a quick potted version of what that is, and and we'll get into it, which would be really helpful. Right, sure. Yeah, so my background is I'm basically a tech entrepreneur uh, from the beginning, and then I started crossing over into finance um, in uh, kind of the early 2000s. And uh, so part of that, I was running an early stage venture capital fund and doing kind of various other kind of tech finance crossover activities. I was doing a bunch of M&A projects of a boutique M&A firm. And so I've been in the space of like, you know, how tech affects finance for quite a few years. And uh, so after having run that venture capital fund, I I moved to California um, to basically kind of um, develop a business there. And um, so part of that was to create my own portfolio of investments. And 
I was really focusing on fintech at the time, and and this was kind of uh, 2012, and and kind of in that time period, and and then gradually I moved into understanding that crypto was something interesting. Heard about Bitcoin, and then being in Silicon Valley, it's kind of difficult to almost like avoid some of these topics because they're they're there, right? And um, yeah. so I was in the middle of that, and um, and and so while and that's where i met philip my co-founder as well first uh, from a social point of view so we basically you know had kids in the same schools in palo alto and so forth and um and and then you know he basically came across a couple of people in the blockchain space and we started talking about um you know what we could do there because like obviously a, a huge opportunity that was emerging and i was all kind of already like a fintech geek and at the time i was also operating a, an SEC licensed M&A advisory in Palo Alto. So, so we were having this conversation for quite a bit. And then we, we, we tried to identify like where, where would we, we fit into that market we, we, with a crossover of like tech and traditional finance as our backgrounds. And so we started looking at the security token space and kind of how to digitize certain like private equity funds and other illiquid assets. So that was really the start of like the, the Swarm project that, that we kicked off in, in Palo Alto. And then, um, you know, as time moved forward, we developed this as an open source project, but then eventually Philip moved back to Europe in 2018 and I moved back in 2019. And at the time, we realized that, you know, the reason why any, anyone would tokenize an asset in the first place would be to get uh, liquidity and some kind of other benefit from that tokenization process. And, right. you know, being in the U.S. at the time was quite complicated from a regulatory standpoint. We didn't really see that there was a clear picture emerging as to what you could or couldn't do within that market. Um, so we started looking at the European jurisdictions and to figure out like which ones are the best ones and where can we build something that's, you know, has longevity and that makes sense. And it's not like just in a, in a fringe jurisdiction. So hence we formed Swarm Markets, um, in Germany under Buffin regulation. Okay. And Buffin is obviously the German regulator. So it'd be like the FCA in the UK or, or the SEC in, in, um, the US. Correct. So post-Brexit, we figured that the FCA would not be the place to go to. And also they were showing similar kind of reasoning to the SEC, which indicated that they probably wouldn't be any of the more progressive jurisdictions in, in Europe. And, and since they're not like, um, obviously, how they would interact with the European Union, then we, we went for Germany and, and got our license there. So, um, yeah. And then with regards to DeFi, I mean, you know, I think liquidity solutions, they can be built in many different ways. Obviously, the centralized, you know, central limit order book uh, um, architecture is kind of the most common one. Hang on, what, uh, what is DeFi? Timo, what, what, what is DeFi? Yeah, so, so, so it is, you know, it stands for decentralized finance. And it basically right. means that, you know, you're using blockchain technology and layer one networks to build uh, financial services or applications. So most of these are built in terms of, um, a combination of uh, protocol um, on blockchain and then some kind of user-facing application layer and which allows people to basically interact with the blockchain and move, uh, basically digitize different kinds of assets and, and move value around and combine them in interesting ways. So, you know, what we've seen now has been the emergence of uh, lending platforms that are built on top of blockchain and we've seen basically what we've built as well, which is an automated market maker, which is a, a type of liquidity solution, which allows people to post um, assets into liquidity pools that then enables trading of, you know, from one, one asset to another. So it's, 
it, it is, you know, it's quite a different way of looking at things and building applications than you would normally do in kind of a centralized um, uh, situation. Uh, okay. Hang on, Tim. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to take us back one step because I, I know we've got a, a real range of the 4.6 million people that listen on Cyber.fm. They've got a real range of knowledge. So in a traditional um, environment, um, people would go along to their financial advisor. Um, they might wander along to you know, a bowler-hatted sort of gentleman or lady um, you know, in the city of London or Paris or New York, and I, a broker, a stockbroker or a, um, someone that's giving financial advice. And then that broker would interact with typically um, a, a stock exchange, um, if we just keep it really simple, to go and buy an equity. Um, or they would say, well, OK, uh, Mr. Fry, you, you want a loan. We've got to go and find a bank. And, and the bank would then um, you know, lend me money. That, that's the traditional world. And it would all be very much face to face. And it would take lots and lots of documentation, take lots of time. And there'd be lots of intermediaries and people between um, me, the investor, or me, the borrower, and the person that's either lending the money or the company that I'm lent, uh, investing into. In a decentralized environment, all of this, um, it, it does away with the need for face to face. It's global, it's digital. It operates 24-7, and it means that you can offer different types of products. So um, that you that normally you would argue could be, if you like, the preserve of sort of institutions. So you, you're talking about sort of lending protocols or, or maybe someone, I don't know, someone in the Middle East or the Far East could quite easily go and buy a, um, a, a digitized equivalent of a stock, you know, like Microsoft or Tesla or BP or L'Oreal or BNP Paribas, no matter who it is, but they could buy that just as easily if they were living in the Philippines as if they were living in 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 Paris or or, or, or you know in in Sweden, for example. Is Correct. That, sorry, about have I got it about right? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's also worth worth mentioning that you know going from the you know what you describe as like the legacy process of engaging with financial services. You also had the interim step of what's called fintech applications, which was basically a kind of a digital layer and, and a web uh, web access into traditional financial um, products and services. So that was like so then people could start like self-serving themselves and when in terms of buying and selling stocks. So you would have like mobile apps and things like that through which you handle your brokerage instead of you know calling up your broker. So that fintech. Um, you know, movement has been quite successful. It's been established now for for quite a few years. But now what DeFi brings is really a fundamentally different way of handling your your assets. So the way we kind of look at this as a user is to, you know, now that I have this money that I want to invest, like what can I do with that? And and where do I hold my assets? And, And the key difference here is that it's very kind of user centric uh, in terms of giving the user autonomy to, let's say, apply their assets to different applications and financial services. So if I'm holding Bitcoin, for example, I can I can basically deposit that Bitcoin and receive uh, and other tokens in return um, and, and gain an interest uh, from that Bitcoin or the same thing for Ethereum or for any other digital asset. How? So what, how? Why? Who, who, uh, OK, so I give you one of my Bitcoins. Um, and then it goes it goes into onto your platform. Why do I get something in return? Because then that becomes part of a, a liquidity pool on swarm markets. And, and once you deposit liquidity into a liquidity pool, 
you get a um, basically a revenue share from the trading fees that that liquidity pool generates. So as people swap from Bitcoin to, let's say, a stable coin like USDC, and in this case, it would be wrapped Bitcoin because we're on, on uh, Ethereum or Polygon. Yeah. Um, and so as that transaction happens, um, the pool has a transaction fee that gets directly applied back to the liquidity providers. So if you are a liquidity provider, over time, you will accrue these, these fees um, as as part of providing the service of depositing your wrapped Bitcoin or USDC into a pool. Okay, so again, just being really simplistic, I've given you my Bitcoin or half a Bitcoin or whatever it is, and that goes into this thing called a liquidity pool. Um, and then someone on the other side, it might be James, for example, James needs to what he wants to borrow some 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 money. Is, is, is that what, what's on the other side that generates the fee? Uh, it is it is it's a trade in this case it's a trade um basically he wants to swap usdc to wrap bitcoin and as he does that that generates a fee revenue to you uh, having provided that bitcoin into the pool so so in that that example the liquidity pool is acting a little bit like a a foreign exchange broker you know the the, the, the transaction of moving from one one if you like currency to another currency and there's a fee Is, is would that be a way to look at it Yes, for sure. Yeah. Okay. And, and so that's is- what I meant by institute. Sorry, but that's what I meant by institutional practices. Right now, the average lady and man in the street cannot be a foreign exchange broker dealer. But in a DeFi example, they could put their thousand dollars, ten thousand yen, you know, hundred thousand pounds or, or euros, and they could actually, in effect, their money is operating and working a little bit like a foreign exchange dealer because they're getting paid as people need to swap and move in and out of that liquidity pool. Yeah. And, and, you know, they typically wouldn't have access to that breadth of different types of yeah. services that or different kinds of call them investment opportunities or just kind of financial services. So, is, so that this more is, risky? Is, is my Bitcoin now exposed to more risk? Is that liquidity pool could go bust or is stolen? Or? Well, so, so there have been there have been examples of uh, hacks in the DeFi space. So basically, there have been like, you know, various kind of nefarious actors that have um, exploited uh, smart contract vulnerabilities. And, um, you know, basically, as a result, they've come, um, basically got access to funds that have been deposited into smart contracts. Right. Um, so the way that we're mitigating that is by there's a couple of ways that we're dealing with it. I mean, one is that we are a, um, a regulated um, entity. So um, it means that, you know, as opposed to a anonymous platform or anonymous AMM, um, it, it is quite uh, quite a comfort factor to be dealing with an identified entity where there's like a, a clear regulatory um, governance that basically um, governs the activities that we do and any kind of, and obviously all the um, individuals involved in that activity are also named individuals and so forth. So it's, it's quite a different way of um, building DeFi that we're doing compared to many other projects. So I think that's one way of dealing with it. The other way is that we've uh, basically built like a, a wrapping layer so that it's it really disincentivizes someone to go on to swarm markets to obtain funds because they would need to unwrap those funds. And so there's like an additional security layer in our smart contracts that um, you know that basically protects the assets um, on our on the network that we built. So, so there there are you know there are risks, yes, uh, but there's also as always with technology. You know, over time these things mature, and then you know people develop um, mitigation strategies and and ways to deal with those risks. Okay, got it. So, but 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 I think it's really important. Um, you've you've touched on it there. 
um, that small markets are regulated. Um, do, being regulated, do they come with any sort of um, investors' compensation because you're you're a regulated market, or is that not not necessarily the case? No, uh, no, 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 uh, not not investors' compensation. It's it's really it's really about um, being able to um, onboard assets that other decentralized finance projects or companies cannot onboard. So uh, we're particularly interested in combining digital assets with uh, tokenized securities, for example, and also tokenized real world assets. And as soon as you start combining securities with, let's say, crypto assets, um, you need to be regulated in order to perform that activity, um, you know, in, in kind of a legal way. So we decided that that's a big market opportunity. And that's why we decided also that we want to be regulated in a jurisdiction that has you know, strong credibility and, and where we can provide these services so that, you know, we ba- basically expand the universe of the kinds of assets that can be traded in a, um, in a DeFi um, architecture. So we think that's a huge opportunity. And, and we see that the onboarding assets, whether it's, you know, through our platform or just kind of through NFTs um, in terms of either digital art or later on, we'll see more and more like um, real world assets being onboarded via NFTs. To be able to trade those assets, um, we think is a massive opportunity. So, so that's why we went down the path of regulation, because it was just like expanding the universe. First of all, it brings clarity to what we do uh, in yep. terms of being certain that what, what we're doing, you know, is viable and, and it uh, has long term, um, you know, sustainability in terms of like from, from a reg point of view. And this is the issue we had in the US where we weren't really clear, like what we could build there and for how long, because, you know, the regulation wasn't clear. Whereas in Germany, it is clear. So that's a huge advantage. Um, and, and then, you know, of course, once you know that you can operate in a certain way for many, many years, then you can also start onboarding assets with kind of a, a long-term thinking. So we're, we're, we're basically seeing this as very early days of onboarding, you know, digitizing finance, which means basically first we need to digitize a bunch of assets. And once we have done that, we can start applying them to, to DeFi architecture and, and combining, you know, one, one type of application with another application, which then creates new types of financial services. And we think that's where the, a lot of opportunities exist going forward. Tim, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely with you there. And, and certainly regular readers will be familiar that we've, we've cited um, small markets on numerous occasions in, in different examples, whether it be talking about NFTs or the DeFi sector, or whether it be indeed talking about regulation. And I think the the fact that um, Bafim have um, basically embraced you and you are regulated, I, I think that is really encouraging for many, many other firms in this sector because the door is now open, provided you can prove that you've got the right systems, procedures, capitality, controls, insurance, all the other bits and pieces and loops that you've no doubt had to jump through. It shows it's possible to really bring the traditional markets um, perhaps more up to date and start driving some of the not only cost savings, but I, I think there's some really interesting sort of risk mitigation and compliance savings that um, DeFi can, can really bring. And, and if you look at the um, the growth that we've seen just in the last year, it's gone, you know, a- almost almost fivefold in terms of the amount of money involved in the DeFi sector. But because you're regulated, then potentially institutions can start getting involved in this area, which will increase liquidity even more, um, which has got to be good, um, you know, for other institutions, but also for um, private investors, the more liquidity and the lower the cost are there. So you know, I, really, really interesting. Um, 
James, I, I know I know we're getting towards the end of this week's show, but anything that springs out to you or any thoughts or questions you got for, for um, Swarm Markets and, and Tima today? Well, you know, I was thinking, um, give me a second, I've got to lower my headphone. <clears throat> yeah, I was thinking, um, for providers, a lot of our listeners are on the providing side, you know, organizations, if they have their own, there might be NFT creators. That's a big part of our listenership. And, uh, you know, token projects, tokenized ecosystems, CyberFM alone. We're on Uniswap. We're on PancakeSwap. We're actually cross-chain. In a, in a, we did that ourselves, right? We list ourselves on Uniswap. And then our users, they get their LP tokens. And that's all good. When you're in a regulated environment, as you are, like, say, in Germany, because, of course, I'm over here in the U.S., and it's, it, it's new to me, who is the deciding entity of listing a particular token or NFT on the exchange? And also, is there an um, oversight throughout the term that that token or the NFT is, is enlisted? Are there fees? Is it free? Yeah, so, um, you know, we, we basically develop policies for what can and cannot be listed um, on swarm markets, uh, which is then, you know, based on uh, how we interpret the, the regulatory rule set. Um, so, you know, you could argue that it's basically that it, it goes back to regulation in the end in terms of like what actually makes sense from various aspects to be listed and not listed. And then in the end, we have to make sure that we implement those mechanisms and policies to, to make sure that we adhere to those requirements. So, but it's very like, you know, on a fundamental level, it has to do with like who's behind the, the, the project itself, who's behind the token, you know, these like named individuals, what's the project like jurisdiction and things like that, that we basically, you know, we have to qualify and make sure that, okay, so this is something that we want to um, have um, available on swarm markets. And then, you know, also it's, it's, it's kind of early days, right? So right now we're like very much like hands-on in terms of iterating around what that needs to look like. But we see that as, you know, as part of our roadmap for next year is, for example, to open up the creation of the of pools so that people can start creating their own pools that they feel makes sense. It's like if I want to have a particular currency paired with a particular digital asset or security, then I want to be able to set up that pool. So then, you know, people can start creating pools for things that they think make sense and combining assets in, in different ways. So we think that's an important aspect. But uh, yeah, so in terms of the assets themselves and providers, we, we just need to know that there's a, a kind of a an understood provenance behind the project and that there's a kind of a clear uh, legal structure behind what's being listed uh, so that we can make the assessments. And that's, that's for the particular token itself. And then with regards to the individuals and processes and the money flowing through the system, that's really the, the usual kind of requirements for, you know, KYC and AML that any kind of, you know, exchange activity would need to have being it, you know, FTX on the centralized side or whether it's, you know, our, our DeFi architecture, we were, you know, we're basically as, as long as you, uh, if you're trying to get people to deposit like meaningful value um, into an exchange, then you, you kind of, you know, you need to apply the same level of standards for KYC and AML and have all the reporting for, you know, uh, suspicious activity stuff and everything. So that's no different from any other financial institution. 
um, it, it just needs to kind of, you know, adhere to those quality levels and, and you need to implement all of those processes. So that's, that's maybe the biggest difference from an unlicensed DeFi um, application that you can basically launch something that's unlicensed and, and really, if you decide to not care at all, at least for a while. But if, if, as we have seen, if you don't care at all, well, then somebody's going to make you care in the end. So we've seen a lot of <laughs> very true, you know, yeah, DeFi platforms. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of examples of delistings, and there's been examples of AML actions uh, against certain wallets um, on DeFi platforms as well. So it's you know, while all of that activity, you know, in some ways is fully decentralized. At the same time, it's not because there are these like touch points that have to do with um, anti-money laundry and regulation that kind of come into play end of the day anyway. Brilliant. And, and, and Tim, how do people find out more about Swarm Markets or if they want to contact you? Obviously, I know James is going to want to have a chat to you separately, I can tell, for Cyber, Cyber.fm. But, but what's the best way to get hold of you and your colleagues um, and- if they want more information? It is at swarm.markets. That's really the best entry points, uh, you know, through our website, because that takes you to, to Twitter, to Telegram, to all the other channels that we have. So I think that's definitely the best way. Okay. And if people want to do something more directly with you and list things in time, then um, there, there's, there's the, the various channels there to, so that you can talk to some of your colleagues about how they then go about and do all that, I, I know. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's, there's the touch points into, you know, our um, chat where we can chat directly with our support people as well as our community managers. So it's, it's pretty easy to get in touch with us. Fantastic. Well, Jamie, I really, really interesting and would love to get you back. I know you've got several plans. You've, you've been kind enough and Philip to share me some of your thoughts um, for even Q1 next year, which if you can pull off just 10% of what you're looking to do, <laughs> um, you're going to have loads of things to update us on. So hopefully we'll get you back um perhaps february march time for a sort of an update of where you are but yeah, James, that, that's that's it for another another week i'm afraid um and uh, obviously if any listeners want to have a copy of uh, timo's article then please just contact um james tiley um at cyberdoff m or myself johnny fry um j-o-n-n-y-f-r-y you can find me on linkedin um or contact cyber.fm and they know how to get hold of um, digital rights. Um, and that's, I think that's, as they say, James, that's probably a wrap for this week. So another interesting selection of stories and bits and pieces. And we've got to try and dig up some more ready for you next week. Yeah, we'll do it all over again. You know, we're running out of weeks. We're down to... It's almost, uh, it's almost Christmas. Right. And then I think, what are we going to do? Are we going to call it season two? Are we going to start fresh? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure, we'll, I'm sure you'll come up with a good idea. You're good at that sort of thing, James. So now, you know, the Digital Byte Show, by the way, if you download the CyberFM app, you can catch all of the previous shows in a regular rotation. They just play in the background while you're eating dinner or maybe while you're trading on Swarm Markets. You can sit back <laughs> and listen to all the previous shows that we've had. This one will be added to it, as well as the regular podcasts that are available in and outside of cyber fm right well have a good week and uh, thank you everyone for listening in this week and we'll be back on the airwaves again uh next week